0: Uh, something I haven't mentioned in a little while. I hope you guys are still doing your Bible reading plans. Uh, encouraged everybody to grab a Bible reading plan for 2022, and I am still working through mine. It's the uh, the um, oh my uh, chronological. It's going to be one of those days. It looks like uh, it's a, the chronological one, and it's taken me all over the Old Testament. I'm reading stories about David and Psalms of David. I'm reading uh, stories about Moses and then the Psalms of Moses, and so I just. I want to encourage you to dive into God's Word this year. If you have not started a Bible reading plan, it is not too late to get started. You'll finish a little later than everybody else, but guess what? It's always valuable to be working your way through Scripture so that we can understand it together as God's people. Uh, And that's really the heart of this sermon series, is we are going to be going through the Old Testament, trying to understand exactly what it is God wants to communicate to us through his Old Testament scriptures that we might be like the disciples of Jesus who when he had the time after his resurrection he sat down and he explained the Old Testament to him to them excuse me and how he was to be found all throughout the Old Testament and may it be for us like it was for them that our minds would be opened to understand the scriptures and that we would see Jesus and his love for us and his expectations for us in all of these passages. So last week we looked at, uh, reminded ourselves of creation, and we, we looked at the Garden of Eden and just how beautiful it was, and how God shaped mankind and made woman for man, and made them both for himself. And we were reminded that the earth was formed and filled for us, the pinnacle of God's creation. And that is not something that should make us uh, all like prideful and give us big heads. But what it should help us understand is that the point of all of this was for us. But we are for God. He created us that we might be in relationship with Him. That was always His desire. And we ended... Last week by looking at, at, at uh, Adam and Eve and how they were naked before God in the Garden of Eden and they felt no shame. And that is a beautiful picture of perfect relationship. Nothing hidden, nothing secreted away, no shame, no sin, no burdens to bear, but everything out in the open and yet there still is perfect relationship. How awesome! Can you just picture that? How awesome that must have been to be in in perfect relationship with one another, in perfect relationship with God. How beautiful a thing. And that was always God's intent, was perfect relationship. But he also gave mankind the freedom to choose. And so here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we are going to look together and experience what happens As mankind falls so hope you've opened up your Bibles or your Bible app. Let's look together at Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 Chapter 3 begins like this Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made He said to the woman Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this word. We pray that even as the eyes and minds of the disciples were opened on that night, as they met with the resurrected Christ, that our eyes and our minds might be opened and we might see you and your love for us and your plans for us here in the Old Testament and be able to bring home and apply these truths into our life today. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So as we look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we're going to see some things unfold. Number one, most of us are familiar with this story. We see the serpent is the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, we need to understand something about the serpent. It's not just a snake like we know them. Uh, it's, when we see this, it seems that this animal who is cunning has been inhabited by a supernatural being who is also quite cunning and deceptive. So we see both an animal and a being within that animal. Now, most of us, we could raise our hand if we were to name that being. Who are we talking about? Satan, right? The, the adversary, the devil, Lucifer, uh, the fallen star. We, we, we see here in scripture that there is an adversary. Remember, if you will, if we go all the way back into chapter two, that God had given Adam a charge to care for and watch the garden of Eden. So clearly there is the implication in God's command toward Adam that there is some evil out there that the garden must be guarded from, must be kept safe from. And so here we find what that evil is. Within the serpent is a spirit, a cunning spirit that says to the woman, did God really say you can't eat From any tree in the garden? Now, this is a very, very crafty question. Because it takes the words of God and it flips them around. But what begins to set the stage for this is this question, Did God really say? See, right off the bat, the serpent, Satan, the adversary, is working to get Eve and Adam to question the words of God. Of God. Now, we can look back in, in, in just earlier in, the, in the, uh, the, the story here in Genesis 2. God has been really clear exactly what it was He intended. It says this in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So if we go back to what God did say, it seems pretty clear, doesn't it? He gives exactly what it is they are allowed to do, what is not allowed, and what the consequences of disobedience will be. But this question, did God really say... This is a question we will still find in our culture today. Over and over again, if you're on social media, you will find people who will will tell you, who will be happy to teach you. Well, the Bible says that, but God didn't really mean it that way. Well, yes, it says that, but here's what it really means. Here's the... The true interpretation here's the the actual truth that's hidden underneath the clear words of scripture and and this begins all the way back in the garden of eden with the very first temptation the question of did god really say that and it, it's interesting this question gets asked more often in relation to things that god says that we do not prefer when God says, I love you, we say, oh, he said that. When God says, I have expectations for you and desire for you to walk in obedience. Well, did God really say that? I mean, he probably just meant try real hard or or be a good person compared to Hitler, right? As long as you're a good person compared to Hitler, you're probably in good shape. Did, did God really say, I want you to be holy even as I am holy? No, he he just meant, you know, come to church every once in a while. He didn't mean genuinely holy. Did God really say... this This is the question that leads to the fall of mankind in the garden. And sadly, it seems to be the question that leads to the fall of mankind on Tuesday as well. And sometimes Wednesday, and oftentimes Thursday, and quite often on Friday and Saturday. But then you repent and come to church on Sunday. Did God really say... So let's look at what did God say? God said, you can eat freely from any tree in the garden except. And then the serpent says this. Did God say you really can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, they're both true statements, right? But one is, I have provided for you all of this. And I have one request, don't eat from that tree. And the other one says, you can't eat from that tree? Well, that's not fair. Weren't you supposed to be able to eat everything here in the garden? I mean, that's, that's the serpent's intent, is to get Eve to focus on that one thing that God says was unacceptable and wonder, well, how come I can't? Why is it that I'm not able to? There's got to be some sort of secret here. I bet God is trying to keep something from us. I bet God is hiding something. I remember as a, as a child, on Sunday afternoons and evenings, my parents would always make popcorn. That was dinner. They'd make popcorn. We'd have a big Sunday lunch. They'd make popcorn for dinner. And they'd send us to bed early. And I never really knew why. But as I got older, I found out They fed us big bowls of popcorn because it was cheap. They sent us to bed early so that they could make steak and potatoes every Sunday night and have a great date night together at home. They were, were, this is all the stuff you get to have. This big bowl of popcorn is all for you, but you can't have the steak. (laughs) And it's like as I get older, that's so not fair. How come I can't have the steak? I tell you what, I never, when I was a kid thought that the popcorn was a bad thing. In fact, it was like, oh yeah, I'm so cool, I get to have popcorn for Sunday night dinner. (laughs) My parents are the best. Until I found out there was something that I wasn't allowed. And then when I found out that something I wasn't allowed to have, it was like, well, why can't I have that? Do you know what I like to do now? Feed the kids popcorn. (laughs) But then I let them stay up and share in the steak and potatoes because I'm a good parent, right? I am more... Enlightened than my parents where I'm more exalted I 'm more spiritual no the thing is is we, we so often focus on that one thing we cannot have we focus on the unattainable we think that will make us happy we think that it will give us the the uh, identity that we 've always been longing for we think it'll be give us the community and the fellowship that we 've always wanted when the truth is we already have everything we need. I mean, do you understand that? When If you're here today and you're clothed and your belly is moderately fed, you have everything you need. You are blessed beyond measure. Why would you look at those things that are outside of God's provision and outside of His plans for you and long for them? Why? Because it's the human condition. It's the thing that we do. And it it, it doesn't stop in the garden, but it is the first time we see it here. So here's how Eve responds to the serpent, who said, Look, there's that thing you can't have. Eve says this, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, this is um, actually not a great translation of the Hebrew. Some of you guys, maybe you pulled out your King James and it says, lest you die, or lest you die, uh, or you might die. and, And really, that's what Eve says here. When she looks at what God has said, God has said, when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Eve says, we must not eat it, we can't touch it, and if we do... We might die. You see, she has actually taken God's teaching and God's command and she has distorted them to make God worse than He is and also lessened them by taking the clear consequences that God said would happen and turning them into a, well, maybe. I think we can see that in our own lives. God says, do not And we say, it's because he doesn't want us to have something good. He is so mean. He is so harsh. He is so unkind. And then we also say, but if we do the thing he doesn't want us, he'll probably be okay, or doesn't want from us, he'll probably be okay with it. He'll probably forgive us. It'll turn out okay. We are like our mother Eve at times. We will take and we will distort the clear teaching of God. We'll lessen its command will lessen its consequences will justify our choices much like eve did and not only does she distort what god has said but then she listens to what the serpent has to say he says to her no you will certainly not die god says you certainly will the serpent says you certainly will not In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Serpent knows exactly what to say to Eve to distract her from the truth of God's word. To distract her from this perfect, loving, and wonderful relationship that she has with the creator of all mankind. To distract her from the perfect relationship that she has with Adam He knows exactly what to say. No, you're not going to die. God's stretching the truth. God's lying to you. In fact, He knows that when you eat it, you'll be like Him. You'll be in charge. You'll be powerful. You'll finally be able to determine your own destiny. You'll be able to set your own standards and go your own way. Doesn't that sound great, Eve? Doesn't that sound great, church? You do what you want, and when you do it, you're the captain. You're the king, you're the queen, you're in charge. No one can question you. You are God. So Eve takes what the serpent has to say, and she considers it, and she realizes this. Verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now there is so much here in this one verse, we could almost spend like a month here. If you're in my Sunday school class, you know, I have a gift with taking something that should take a day, and turning it into six months, and and we could do that. But we're just going to focus in and really understand what the issue for Eve was here. She had distorted God's word in her own mind. She was listening to the the serpent distort God's word. She had lessened the consequences of sin in her own mind and convinced herself that it would turn out okay, even when she rebelled against God. And then when the serpent says, finally, you'll be like God, she saw in what was before her an opportunity to take control of her own destiny. So here's what it says, Eve saw that it was good for food, it was delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Interestingly enough, the apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 says that nothing has changed from the time in the garden until today. He says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, every temptation you might find to distract you from the love of the Father is wrapped up in these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. That is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Do you see that? The lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions. When we look back at what Eve understood about the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that she realized it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. She realized it was desirable to look at, the lust of the eyes, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, the pride of life, or self-importance. We see the temptation has never changed. In fact, these are the same things that tempt us today. It'll taste good or feel good. It looks good and it will make me someone important or special. These are the exact same things that tempt us today. And we can look at everything that we are tempted to participate in that we know is outside of Of God's plan for our lives. And we can narrow it down to one of these three things. Without question. Oftentimes, it's all three of these things. It looks good. It tastes good or feels good. And it will make me important. Special or powerful. Every temptation we face. Is the exact same temptations. That Eve faced in that very moment. In the garden of Eden. It tastes good. It looks good. It'll make me special. And so, what does Eve do? It doesn't say, she turns to God, Oh God, help me be obedient to what you've commanded me to do. Had she done that in that moment, she wouldn't have fallen, likely. That day, at least. Who knows what the next day would hold, or the next day. It's really easy to look at Eve and and say she was mistaken. She got distracted. She got tempted. Oh, terrible Eve. I guarantee if the Garden of Eden was where we still lived and this tree was still in the middle of it, one of us or all of us would be there eating the fruit today. You see, see, we fall prey to these things. We know these same temptations and yet they still take us captive. So what does Eve do? It says that she took some of its fruit... And she ate it. She took some of its fruit and she ate it. This is an interesting thing. Uh, I don't want you to take this too far. But I do want you to hear what one commentator said. He said that just as Eve took and ate the fruit, on the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, this happened. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it. This is my body. Just as Eve took and ate to bring death and sin into the life of mankind, Jesus gives us a new meal that whoever would take and eat it in faith might be saved from the sin that so easily entangles and enslaves us. That whoever would take and eat what Christ has to offer, just as mankind fell in the garden, this new meal will bring life to all who will partake of it by faith in Christ Jesus. So Eve takes and eats. She brings death and destruction. But here's what else happens. She also gave some to her husband. Who was with her? And he ate it. Now, we kind of miss that part. We read through the story. Oh, Eve. Eve fell. Eve made a terrible choice. Scripture states, Adam was with her. He was right there. Adam never once said, Oh, Eve, don't. I mean he didn't even try. He was right there with her. He watched the temptation happen. He heard how she misused what God had said. She she changed the impact. She changed the meaning. He was right there with her. And then she turns around and says, have some. And he goes, Okay. Yeah, weird to be preaching this on Mother's Day. This is not intentional, moms, just so you know. This is just, you know, sometimes a series hits and it's like, oh, that's right, it's Mother's Day. I don't plan these things necessarily. So I don't want anybody to hear blame the women, which is actually a mistake that has been adhered to throughout church history. Well, women are less than because Eve made the choice scripture is so clear eve was deceived into the choice but here's what it says about adam adam was not deceived what does that mean well paul is using it to explain that men are not as prone to spiritual deception as women now we can argue about whether he's right but what we can't argue about is his intent and his intent is to say, Eve was deceived, she was prone to deception, but Adam knew exactly what was going on the whole time, and yet he still sinned. That's an interesting comparison, isn't it? That women, and, and once again, this is not about being derogatory, but Scripture says that here that women are more easily deceived, essentially, but men are idiots and run headlong into sin. Okay, and, and that's, I mean, how much more clear cut can it be sometimes? And, and it, it is kind of comical, but it's also kind of sad too. It's also why we need one another, men and women. Men, we get headstrong and we are like, I know what's true and we stick by it. And ladies, you're supposed to help us make better decisions with what we know, right? We are the truth, you are the heart. And together we do beautiful things as God's people. But Adam was deceived. So, so, what we see here is Eve takes, she eats, then she hands it to her husband, and he eats right there with her. She was deceived, and he willingly chose to sin and transgress against God. I can't even hardly wrap my mind around it. I, I struggle with, with those times when I do sin. I struggle with conviction so badly when I go into it and coming out of it. And, and you might think, wait, you're a pastor and you sin intentionally sometimes? I, I still struggle with that. Yep. Yep. I know exactly what's going on and I still do it. And that doesn't make it okay. But it means it's, it's what we struggle with. It's where we fight today. Why do we fight with this kind of stuff? Because of Adam and Eve. What happens here in the garden... Is that we, along with them, we get broken. And here's what he says, what God says happens. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, if we understand naked with no shame as Being symbolic of a perfect relationship between one another and with God, then what we have to understand in this change, where they were ashamed of their nakedness, was that their innocence was taken away. The perfection of relationship between the two of them and the God who created them was broken. Everything was changed. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans that in the first Adam, because of his sin, all of us have have inherited a life of death and sin. But we have the joy of knowing the second Adam, Christ Jesus, who came and gave himself in obedience that all who would believe on him Can be freed from the slavery of sin brought on by the choices of Adam and Eve and brought to newness of life. So both the man and his wife knew they were naked, which is a stark contrast to what we see at the end of chapter 2. The relationship with God is dead, it's broken. over they've rebelled they have chosen to do their own thing to do what was pleasing to their eyes to do what was pleasing to their taste buds to do something that made them feel important and powerful and the consequence was a broken relationship with god and a broken relationship with one another. And what's interesting is it trickles on down. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. That all of creation is tainted by the fall of mankind. And is groaning for the day of redemption. When the weight of sin will be lifted from everything in this world. When Christ Jesus returns. So this broken relationship is An infection that influences and changes everything with Adam and Eve. Now, what's interesting is that God's glory remains. God's glory remains. Creation, I mean, we can look outside. The psalmist tells us that all of creation is still singing his praise. Jesus said, if his disciples don't cry out, the rocks will. All of creation is still singing the glory of God, the goodness of the Creator, the majesty of the King, the one who provided all we needed, and yet we rebelled against all the same. The glory of God is intact, but the relationship has been broken. And so that's where we're kind of going to stay in the story here in the Old Testament But let's bring it home to us a little bit more. Let's try and apply this to our lives a little bit more. Let's try and see this story of glory and redemption and understand God's desire in sharing this this story with us. This history. It's important for you and I to understand that temptation has not changed a lick since the garden. Now the snakes don't talk to us anymore. But that's Because we don't need them. James tells us that every temptation wells up from inside of us. And we don't even need a tempter. We're able to to make up enough evil on our own. We're able to pursue pursue our own desires on our own. And and this temptation to, to rebel against God, it hasn't changed since the garden. So what can we do? In our own lives to not make the same mistake as Eve and Adam. First, we can know and apply God's word faithfully. Eve's first mistake was that God spoke clearly and she distorted it. She changed his clear command and the consequences into an unclear muddling of truth and she lessened the consequences. Sometimes we think we know God's word. I I don't want to take a poll, but I would imagine that even now there could potentially be someone in here who believes that God helps those who help themselves is somewhere in Scripture. And just so you know, it's not. It's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, what's more truthful as a statement is that God helps those who understand their complete inability to help themselves. Nowhere in scripture will you find cleanliness is next to godliness. Sunday school class, sorry, you guys get repeats so often. I don't know why God does this to you. Uh, Maybe you need to consider repenting and coming and walking rightly with him. Because you're getting preached to twice a week. But but nobody, I mean there, there are potentially still people, maybe not here, but at least in your circle of influence, that think cleanliness is next to godliness. The old joke is only if the dry cleaners is next to the church. <laughs> a penny saved is a penny earned. That was Benjamin Franklin, maybe. But but we think we know God's word. But too often. We know about God's Word or we know what somebody has said about God's Word and it has become almost like a a fable or a fairy tale in our life that we repeat but we don't know what it actually says. We don't know the true story. We don't know the genuine heart of God. If you want to avoid the temptation that is the same as Adam and Eve faced, the same for us every day, you need to know And apply God's word. Here's what the psalmist says. Psalm 119 is all about God's word. One specific verse is this. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Do you want to know how to not sin against God? How to not rebel? Know his word. And treat it like a precious treasure. Jesus was tempted in the same three ways, actually, and yet he did not sin. And here's what he did. Matthew chapter 4 records his temptation, and his first answer to Satan, when Satan tempts him to change stones into bread, is this. It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, fully God and fully man, when He was tempted, how does He respond? With Scripture. You want to avoid temptation, the temptation that is the same as it was for Adam and Eve, then know and apply God's Word. The second thing that you can do in order to avoid temptation is to know and avoid The forms of temptation. And they're so easy, right? Because they're right here in Scripture. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions or standing. What's going to tempt you to rebel against God? It tastes good or feels good. It looks good, or it'll make me special. All of those things, Everything you fight against is going to fall into one of those three categories. Know that. Be aware of that. And if you want to walk in right relationship with God through Christ Jesus, be aware of the ways that you are tempted in these three areas. And then finally, well not finally, actually we got one more. Understand that the source of evil and fallenness lies within all of us. Why? Well, we can look back and thank Adam and Eve. We have this sin nature. We have inherited from them death. And it lives within us. Now, once we profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, once we come into God's family through belief on His life, death, and resurrection, we are equipped with the ability to overcome the sin that's so easily wraps us up. But we don't always do that, do we? And so even those of us who are saved, we know that sin is still an issue and it still wells up from within us and it's still something that we must confront, not out there, but in here first. The issue with you is not everything wrong with the world, but rather what's wrong with your heart. What's wrong with your desires? What's, what's leading you astray from inside you? Psalm 53, verses 2 and 3. The psalmist writes this, God looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do you do good on your own? No. No. Only in Christ Jesus can you do good and rise above the temptations that so easily wrap us up. And that's really what the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans 3. Here's what Jesus says, though, about the source of evil. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, from within out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities... Thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence. I'm just, I am got. need some me time. Self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. You see, the real issue with Adam and Eve was not the tree. It was giving into their own desires and wanting to be in charge and be like God. And that's where all of this comes from. is within us when we want to be in charge, when we want to define what's right, when we want to define what's proper and holy and just and we ignore God's clear commands and we reject Jesus Christ as Savior. So what's the final solution? The final answer for this is I want to encourage all of you, turn to Christ. The first time in your life, turn to Christ for salvation understand that you are a, a sinner and your personal rebellion, not just the, the, the deeds of Adam and Eve, but your own personal rebellion against the standards of God has earned for you eternal death and the wrath of God. But God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, the second person of the Trinity, which is really hard to understand, but we can talk about it more later. Jesus lived a perfect, sinful life, never giving into temptation. And then He died on the cross in your place. He gave His life as the sacrifice to pay for your sinfulness. He absorbed the wrath of God that you deserved while He was on the cross. He died and then on the third day, He rose again to prove He really is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who can forgive the sins of everyone who would believe on Him as Lord and Savior. Of course, we all need to do that first and foremost in order to be saved. But once you have turned to Christ the first time, you also need to turn to Christ every time. When you're struggling, if there is a sin that is besetting you, if there is a television show, if there is a magazine, an app, if there is a relationship, if there is a bank account that is leading you astray, Don't just sit back and go, yeah, it's bad, but I'm doing it anyway. Turn to Christ. Man, when you spend time with Him, you cannot help but learn to hate the sin that comes from deep within you. And as a church, we have this beautiful privilege of acknowledging our individual choice to turn to Christ, our our choice to turn to Christ even today by remembering what he did for us on the cross. Just as Adam and Eve plucked from a tree fruit, they took it and they ate it, and it brought death for all of us. We have the privilege today of taking the fruit of a tree and eating it. The fruit of the tree, the cross, And consuming the life of Christ and making Him our own. And then symbolically, every time we gather together and do this, remembering the price that was paid for your sin and mine. Plucking from the tree and eating. Today we have the privilege of plucking from the table and consuming and remembering the sacrifice that was made for us. And so I ask you to join me today in turning to Christ once again. Jesus says this in Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sin. This fruit. Will bring life. This fruit. When you take of it. And you eat it. Will restore relationship with God. Now understand. I don't mean because you take communion. Something magical happens. I mean because you have professed Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. You have consumed the fruit. That came on the cross of Calvary. Now every time we eat. eat. This meal together, we remember the first time we took that fruit and what it did for us and what it continues to do for us. And so this morning, I want to invite everyone who's with us, who has professed Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Whether you're a member here or not, we invite you to join us at the Lord's table. And we're we're going to do things just really simply this morning. We'll pray over the elements. There's bread and cup here in the front and some in the back. And I just want to invite you to come and receive the elements from the table or from the table in the back. And then, whether you're alone or as a family or as a friend group, to just take some time to pray and then partake of the Lord's table together. And I just want to encourage you as you do this, I want you to think about Adam and Eve. And I want you to think how they at one point took what was forbidden and ate it, and it brought death. And now, you and I have the privilege to take what is freely given, to consume it, to trust on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and be given life and the forgiveness of sins. So let's pray together to bless the elements. And then I want to invite you all to the table to partake together. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have recorded for us the true story of Adam and Eve. And how on that fateful day, they both were tempted. They both gave in to temptation. They both allowed themselves to reject you and rebel against you. And that when they took and ate, they died. But today, you've given us the privilege to remember that those who take and eat of your Son, Jesus Christ, will live and will live forever. And so as we partake of this cup and this bread, we remember it's not a little bit of juice And a bit of matzah that saves us. And instead it is the work of your son on the cross. And how he took on our behalf. The wrath that we deserve. The judgment that we have earned. The death that is the wage of our sin. He took it all on our behalf. And he gave his perfect and sinless life. That we might partake of it. And be saved. Thank you for giving us such a beautiful reminder of the fruit of the cross. And as we consume it today, may we remember what Jesus has done for us. Bless the bread, and as we take it, may we remember Jesus' perfect, sinless body by which He took all the punishment of sin. And as we partake of the cup, May we remember his perfect sinless blood that was shed to cleanse our sin and to seal the covenant, the contract that all who would believe might be saved. And as we partake of both, may we genuinely experience you, Lord Jesus, and know your presence and turn to you wholeheartedly that we might avoid the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and we might be inspired to know your word more fully. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. (laughs) We'll talk about it later. So if you would, Come and share in the Lord's table. If you are a a believer, you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please come and receive the elements. Return to your seat or find a corner and then partake by yourself or with those you love. Join us in the opportunities this week. Monday night Bible study at seven. Ladies are meeting Wednesday night at six thirty for their Bible study. Thursday night, the students at six for snack, which is the best part. I mean, and then six thirty for, for student ministry. Then, of course, next week Sunday Bible school at nine thirty-seven. Great classes for all ages. And then we'll continue Glory and Redemption next Sunday. So, quick question got thrown out: What if Adam hadn't eaten the fruit? I would assume if nobody else ate the fruit between then and now, we'd all be having a service that was clothing optional in a lovely garden. So, um, however, I can't know for sure, but that would be, I guess, if, if they never sinned and we never did, that's where we'd be. But the sad thing is, is I know my own heart. I can only imagine that had Adam and Eve not chosen to sin, I probably wouldn't. Have. And so, thankfully, God loved us all enough Say, Christ Jesus, knowing that we would have a penchant for rebellion, and He wanted us to have a way to come. So turn to Christ.